0: Criterium racing is vibrant, it is amazing, it is one part of the overall whole of road racing. We have spent hours, days, moments in time of our lives that we'll never get back, analyzing, stressing, discussing, talking, thinking about Criterium racing. But in all of those efforts, we have also been discussing the greater broader concept of road racing and how critical it is within America, within Canada, within this part of the Western Hemisphere, that we have a vibrant road racing scene that incorporates all aspects of skinny bike tire racing. The goal as a bike racer, who wants to race professionally, has and always will remain making it to the world tour. That is the place, the pinnacle, the peak of bike racing. Our ambition and hope is to create a uniquely American, Canadian, North American scene where bike racers can thrive and race without having to leave to go to Europe which is the vestige, the place, the locus, the goal of the world tour. That is where it takes place. That is where the ambition lies. Until we can create that community here, which has within it the capacity to financially support and drive road racing in North America, we have to only view the goal as Europe and the world tour. And that's why it is so amazing and exciting that we have, for the first time on this show, a legit world tour professional bike racer in Maggie Coles Lister. We spoke to her before when she was a Criterium and Road Racer on DNA Pro Cycling. But now, a year away from her last American-based criterium, a year older and, shall we say, wiser for all of her experiences, we have her back on the show to talk about Paris-Roubaix, gent welgem the UCI Champions Track League, We have her to talk about all those things which we hold as ambitions and goals here. Events, moments in time, concepts, races, the experiences of the pinnacle of this sport. She has arrived. She is one of our most cherished alums who has graduated to the tip-top peak stage. And we are so thankful that she is here. My name is Rob Kelly. This is Criterium Nation, a show about life lived one corner at a time. We are a proud part of the Wide Angle Podium network of shows. We are joined by Cyclocross Radio, which is at its zenith right now with the Cursed Period, which I used to think was called the Cursed Period, as opposed to whatever the Flemish word is that comes out sounding like Cursed period. It is an awesome time of Christmas and holiday bike races that makes up just the greatest part of the the cross racing season. We've got the Slow Ride Podcast, we've got the Grodio, we've got the whole kit and caboodle, the full bevy of shows. So go to wideanglepodium.com, check out what is the best in independent cycling media, and subscribe and support this content creator-owned effort. So here it is, the final episode for us of 2023, the final opportunity to tell stories about this year in bike racing. And we can think of nobody better than Maggie Coles Lister of Israeli Premier Tech Roll to join us for the hour. Maggie Cole's List, are joining us all the way from the Pacific Northwest, uh, or at least the Pacific Northwest as far as the United States is concerned. But you're on the other side of the border. So is that the Pacific Southwest for Canada? Uh, I think we still call it the Pacific Northwest. How is it being home for the first time in what seems like forever?
1: Yeah, I've probably been home. This is the third time this year, I think. For and the other two times were like a week at a time, so it's pretty wild. Uh, the last couple of months, I really started just getting that little bit of homesickness, uh, missing the dog, missing the family, you know. So it's really nice to be home and taking my off season here so I can actually just see the people I want to see and chill out and cuddle the dog and go for walks. And I, I've been sick again too, so I've been sick. On top of everything else we'll get into, I've been sick so much this year. So, uh, yeah, it's just, you know, story of off-season when you stop riding and your body catches up to you.
0: We've always heard that pros ride slow. You know, it's kind of one of the the, uh, catchphrases that explain why professional bike racers are good at what they do is because they focus very clearly on the task at hand. When they go slow, they go slow. When they go hard they go really, really hard. When you approach the off season, which is where we are right now, do you focus on the, the off part of the off season or is it just like, no, I must, I must crush Watts and kill weights.
1: (laughs) Okay. Well, yeah, I definitely, this has been a very much needed off season. So especially these first couple of weeks, well being, uh, a bit sick and just being so ready to be off the bike for a couple of weeks and just not think about training. I've been very much like full on into off season mode of not really thinking about what I'm eating or <laughs> caring if I have an extra drink or, you know, go for a walk, do just do what feels right. Um, yeah just take it easy. Just not think about the bike or training. I mean, this week we'll start getting back into some active, some movement, probably back into the gym, but I still have a couple more weeks off the bike. So I have fully embraced it.
0: <laughs> you have been around the world this year. Literally you started 2023 in Australia at the Santos tour down under the Cadell Evans great ocean road race uh went to the uae raced in the uae a little bit before hitting up the classic you know european season raced back in canada for the national championships went back to europe and then ended in china at the end of the year does that and of course it's just the road that doesn't count all the uci track stuff that you were doing does that Wear you down? Does that make you tired at all, or are you just the Energizer Bunny?
1: Uh, well, I've gotten this question a lot, especially ending my season at Track Champions League. Which, looking back on it, that was really ambitious. I was, (laughs) I was exhausted through that. But uh, people keep saying, like, how do you do it? How are you still going? It's been such a long year. And honestly, I don't have an answer for you. I don't know how I kept going. I there were so many moments. I just. I, I was absolutely drained. And then another travel would be coming up and I just have to <laughs> refocus. Like at that point, there was no getting out of it. I'm, I'm going to this race. I'm going to what China was my fifth continent I went to this year. And you, you know what? You just like put yourself in the, okay, I, I got to do what I can do with where I'm at right now. Um, so that was kind of the mindset and you know what, uh, like it's a, it's a funny year because it was my first year in world tour. We had all these team changes, all this craziness. So it was kind of that, like you're presented with this opportunity and you don't really feel like you can say no and you just want to take everything that's thrown at you and just throw yourself into the deep end of like getting a little bit of a taste for everything over here, which I felt like. You know, it had its pros and its cons. Like, obviously, I was mentally and physically drained by the time by last week or ten days ago when I stopped started my off season. I mean, honestly, I was probably drained by September. But then, yeah, the pros of that, like, I did experience a lot. And just heading into next year, like, I mean, I raced Roubaix. I've raced on. I raced a bunch of Nations Cups heading into an Olympic year. I uh, got some more racing at the end of the season in track champions league. I got to experience that, um, the world tour stuff and actually fighting for podiums over in China. So like there were, there are so many positive takeaways I can take out of this year. And like, I can focus on, I, I can focus on how tired I was and how much it all took out of me. But like, I mean, what's the point of that now we're, we're resetting We're moving into next year. And I really just got to I think what we've what taken out of it is learning how to manage travel and manage it all better and move into next year. Like I, I saw what I can do with what this year was, and so I can only imagine what next year can bring, just having an idea of what it all is.
0: Well, help us. Help you know the garden variety American domestic bike racer or Canadian domestic bike racer who's like, I want to give this sport a shot but I'm not going to be racing UCI races in Europe. I'm going to try to race the best races in, in in Ontario or the best races on the East Coast while maintaining a, a nine-to-five type job. What were some of the tricks that you saw this year that helped you maintain both a positive physical and positive mental attitude that the rest of us can be like, okay, if Maggie Coles Lister can do this, you know, fly to, you know, five different continents and compete at the highest level. Well, then I can do this when I'm going from Sudbury to Sarnia to Mishishwaga to Hamilton.
1: Yeah, I think this year I got really good at sleep. (laughs) Sleep was huge. Sleep when I can, sleep where I can, just, just sleep. Um, I mean, it can't be done if you're tired like you can't do it all if you're tired uh so I think that was huge for me this year and really just focusing on it's so easy to get caught up of like okay over the next three months I'm going to be here 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 like this this is all happening and I'm going to all these places and there's there's so much to plan and think about but like once you're on the road just focusing on the task at hand and what's coming up like, try to have all the other details out of the way before or as much as you can, like, before you hop on that plane. So then when you actually get to that race, like, you can just focus on that task at hand. And then as soon as the race is over, you can go back to, like, planning out all the other details. But I guess that, that comes back to, like, just being present, being in the moment at the event you're at. I found that was huge this year because I would get super caught up in, like, I think it was, I was racing at Scandinavia, Tour of Scandinavia um, in August and super cool all this and I, I was feeling good but you know starting to hit that bit of a tired edge I was like wow I it's still two months until I have go to China and race like how am I gonna get through this and I really like that was kind of the when I really started getting tired through the season and getting caught up in that like just feeling of chaos and like that I still have to get through two more months of training. So yeah, I really had to strip it back and just being like, okay, get through one thing at a time, get through Scandinavia, it everything we have, I'll go home, I'll sleep for a couple days, then I can focus on the next thing, then I can focus on the next thing. And that helped me a lot this year.
0: So one thing that I think a lot of people know, but probably don't know enough of the details about is that it wasn't enough for you to challenge yourself to, you know, race these races at world tour level coming from DNA Pro Cycling, which is where you were last year. You know, you you, you started the year on one team, switched to another team, and then found your way all the way to a third team by the end of the year, all through basically no fault of your own. Can you kind of give us a sketch on how you went from DNA all the way to Israeli Premier Tech?
1: Yeah, so the, like, highs and lows of the past year were wild. So DNA from cycling was my home for three years, like 2020 to 2022. And then I wanted to make the jump over to World Tour and get into some of those races. And I I just felt ready. I was ready to get over to Europe and like fully move over there and see what I could do. And it's really hard as a North American, if you haven't been over to Europe in years like I, I went over when I was 17 18 but that that was years ago now <laughs> so it's it's tough if you don't have any current results to show even though last year I was national champion like doing well in the American scene but uh, I had a good result at Commonwealth Games but it, it's really really difficult to get the attention of European teams so that was a struggle in itself the what was BnB hotels last year when they started their women's program uh we got talking with them and they reached out to me and I got on that program and that was uh, the whole program just seemed incredible like too good to be true (laughs) super exciting which
0: is likely what happened there anyways which is what it was
1: (laughs) yeah but you know contract signed everything I mean there was a lack of information but it was already an established men's team like Thing, things seemed like it was trending in a good direction but they're, they're just like yeah we got to december and one day basically woke up with no contracts <laughs> i like think it was yeah december 6th of last year yeah woke up with no contracts and your december I, well, I was in my just had moved into my new place in spain and so i am over in spain still with no Real European results to my name. My contract that took a gamble on me had uh, just fallen through, and you're like, "Well, what now?"
0: <laughs> like, what is that like? I mean, emotionally, you it really leaves you in a lurch because here you are. You, I mean, you have got a lease. You know, you're 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 staying at a place in Spain. You it's no small move to get from. Vancouver to Spain you've shifted your entire focus away from this North American style of racing to world tour you've taken the step up which is like this amazing rare air that you're breathing and all of a sudden it vanished on you
1: yeah I I was completely lost and I mean I'm yeah living in this new place like that was the first proper place I was renting on my own but, I mean, I had two housemates, but I didn't know them. I'd known them for two days. So I was basically going through this existential crisis with these two guys I didn't barely knew at the time. <laughs> and luckily they were cyclists, so they kind of got it. Um, they were kind of having contract struggles with them, of their own. Uh, so we, we could kind of bond over that. But also the other girls that, unfortunately, were going through that whole B&B thing as well, I, we really had each other's backs and really – bonded and that that was kind of the like emotional support of that month so like audrey heidi franz um Stannard, like those girls like we were all in it together they they were the ones that knew everything that was going on like a lot of things we could or couldn't say at the time and like information we could or couldn't share so like we were really really leaning on each other and i think that's what got like the the week or whatever i didn't have a contract for i think that's really what got me through that and and just leaning into okay well i'm here i'm in spain now like i'm going to embrace the training i'm going to go drink some good spanish wine i'm going to explore my new little town like leaning into that side of it and just i guess blindly hoping things were going to work out and my agent would be able to get me another ride somewhere else <laughs> and then yeah zaff came along
0: Tell me about the before we jump to Zaf, because there's a whole Zaf experience that played out very publicly in the cycling media, especially with the French national champion and kind of her statements. But like you're 24 years old, you're dealing with very adult issues very quickly, and those include legal issues. You know, you had a contract, the contract was broken, but you have requirements that are still upon you and you want to remain within this sport and within this industry. So being the squeaky wheel doesn't necessarily lend to doing much in the future. Where are you getting advice from or from anybody that's telling you like the, the legal pragmatic business component of, is that coming from, from Heidi? Is that coming from the girls that you were talking about?
1: Um, no. Organizations like the Cyclists Alliance—they did have our backs and help us out a lot through that. And when it came to like legal guidance, through them and kind of the team my agent has around her, like it was through kind of those sources that really helped us guide guide us through that. Because without it, I don't know how I would have figured it out. There were so many different parts to it. Um, I mean, contract signed, money, your supposed to be getting um whether we can sign elsewhere whether like like all the little nuances of if we can trade tea or if we can move teams at this point like, like there were so many question marks um but yeah there were a few different kind of parties helping us navigate through it. Cause I think as like the core group of girls, none of us really knew what we were doing. Like none of us had really been in that kind of situation before.
0: Zaf comes along and they're your, your lifeboat, you know, after a week, what was that experience like? Tell us about how relieved you were apprehensive, scared, nervous. What were you feeling when Zaf comes and says, Hey Maggie, we've got a spot for you. We've got money. Here's another contract.
1: You know what? They they were another new team. So after the experience with B and B, you're kind of like, oh, oh, great. Uh, this this seems like another really good opportunity, but it's another new team. Like, there's all that unsure, like all that uncertainty unsure- just comes back. And oh, what if this goes belly up? So like, you do have those question marks, but you also don't really have another choice in that situation. Like, hey, I want to be over here. I want to race my bike. This this is it. Like, we're going with this and a bunch of the other girls who were with the B program came over to it as well. And like Michaela Drummond, her and I were really close. And so I already knew some riders who were signed with ZAF and the team was based very close to where I was living in Spain and everything was just kind of easy at, at that point. Like things fell into place really quickly. And so like, other than that, Oh, it's a new team. Like what if the same thing happens? There wasn't a whole lot of, signs I guess that what what happened would happen you know
0: (laughs) what actually ended up happening with ZAF and then we'll walk backwards and fill in the details of kind of the signs and the worries and the problems
1: so bottom line we weren't paid and even by the time we came to Roubaix like nobody had been paid their salary yet or or people had been paid bits and pieces of it. Like it all got really weird. But for speaking for myself, I hadn't been paid by the time April came around.
0: So yeah, that I think we need to fill in some details as far as like when the women's version of Paris Roubaix was this year. It was the eighth of of April. You joined Zaf and raced from January, February, March and all the way to the beginning of April without without a paycheck.
1: Yes, without a paycheck. (laughs)
0: were you getting told like, Oh no, don't worry. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming.
1: Yes. The whole time it was always coming. It was always just, there was some sort of delay or some issue with one account or there was always an excuse, but yeah, the money was always supposed to be coming. (laughs) And so, but yeah, we never saw it. And I mean, my first like, Oh my gosh was our first race was in Australia and we were flying back from Australia and we went to the, the team hadn't pre-booked our bikes on the flight and it was a situation of like all the bikes come back or none of that. Cause we were all under the same ticket. So we couldn't just individually pay for bikes. So because it hadn't been paid, it was going to be $6,000 to get the bikes back and staff didn't have credit cards. We couldn't reach the owners back home. Like, nobody had enough money except me to pay <laughs> to get these bikes. Like I I had my credit card with me and somehow nobody else could pay for these bikes, but I didn't have another like option back home. I needed my bike to be able to train and ride. And I was promised like when we landed back in Barcelona, I was going to get the money at the airport. Like I was going to get the deposit immediately at the airport. And of course, like I said, there was no red flags with the team at that point. So Okay, I put it on my credit card, and uh, we flew back. They were gonna try to like ship the bikes by boat, otherwise. Or there was all these like convoluted conversations within the two hours before we were supposed to take off. So you know, I, I just like, yeah, it's on my credit card. You pay me when we land in Barcelona. Okay, wasn't paid when we landed in Barcelona. I wasn't paid until the day I left the team in April.
0: So, uh, that's a lot of interest <laughs> on your credit card that, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in the United States, that would, uh, be an interesting tax write-off somehow that you would have to take, but I don't see that as being, uh, one, appropriate or two, um, uh, just the way that it works.
1: It was wild. No, no, that was wild. And I asked and invoiced and invoiced and push them and push them and I mean it was going hand in hand with us not getting our salary so like we weren't getting salary and I was in debt to the team at this point so I felt I was in a bit of this situation like okay so we're not getting our salary and like towards the end of it and like the others I want to leave but also how am I going to get this money like where's this money coming from (laughs) like they still owe me $6,000 $6,000 for our bikes coming back.
0: And shockingly, the Women's World Tour minimum salary is, you know, $6,000 is a huge chunk of what the minimum salary...
1: $6,000 is a big portion of your salary. Like,
0: they're Yeah, I needed that money. And so, you know, at what point in time, when you go from January to February, you haven't been paid, February to March, you haven't been paid, March to April, at what point in time does it become... Okay, Maggie needs to do something here. It's time for us to to you know cut bait and get out of here because this is not healthy and constructive.
1: Kind of following what the other writers were doing. I mean, like like what happened with B and B. This whole situation really brought us close as a team. <laughs> I mean, if you can look at it on the positive, we all became very close friends and really had each other's backs. And so naturally as we're not getting paid over the months, like the first month you're like, okay, maybe just something went wrong with the company. Like who, who knows that's okay. I mean, it's not okay, but February, hopefully it comes through and then it doesn't happen in February. And then you start having conversations with the other girls and you're like, okay, this, this really isn't good. And I mean, some riders have some savings. Some are really struggling to just survive. Some can't pay rent. Like it starts to become stressful. (laughs) Um, really stressful on riders and so then you talk you talk more and then you're like okay what's the move now what do we what do we do you start having conversations with the cyclist alliance and it's tough because you're about to leave this team but you don't have another team lined up and at this point team transfers happened in june so you also at this point if you were going to another team big team you needed uh, an early transfer exemption so there was like there was waiting around for different pieces of the whole puzzle to uh, come into play. And it, it did become really difficult because you're like, morally, do I keep racing for this program? Like, like what, what do I do in this situation? It's just such an unprecedented, unprecedented situation that I think each at the end, each rider had to do what was right for her. Cause some, some were able to secure another contract and able to get that exemption and able to get out. Um, some, it took a bit longer and yeah, I, and you had to make decisions like, do, do I go race Roubaix <laughs> and that kind of races? And,
0: um, you just had to weigh the pros and cons. You had to get there. I mean, it doesn't sound like they were buying you plane tickets. and
1: So they were getting plane tickets. So this, this is also like where the, there was some, I guess, false sense of security. Like you were getting sent to these races getting like tickets occasionally they cover expenses like I don't know the whole situation was so odd and just like so different for each person in some ways like some people they'd cover things for some they won't like but salaries for the most part weren't covered um, or weren't being paid and so that was the biggest part but they were getting those who wanted to keep racing but yeah some people they weren't letting race like it was just all like the treatment on the team was also an issue by a lot of people I mean the day before Roubaix we had a lunch with no protein soggy rice and spinach and we were in the middle of nowhere and like I'd gone through whatever other food I would brought with me and, and that was what we ate and people weren't going out and like getting us additional food on top of it so you know like there was can like the conditions weren't great <laughs> either uh, oftentimes we didn't have spare equipment um but yeah it was the weighing that well if I race Roubaix this year and, and I'm able to just get through this and then I can kind of take a break in my racing like then I just have one more race experience under my belt one more year of doing it and whatever team I'm on moving forward or next year like I can say I've done Ruby. I know what to expect I know how to go through the motions like it's not a shock like everything was this year so that was kind of and there was still the like well I need another contract so I still need some results <laughs> So it's such a hard, you see, it's like such a toss up of what you do.
0: Did you ever get an explanation as to what the deal was, why, why this was not working even remotely close to what a professional contract or a professional race organization would be like?
1: No, there was never any uh, explanation. And once we all kind of went our separate ways on teams, that was just like, yeah there there was not really much more talk after that of what the team was. Like we would hear rumors sometimes, but like, yeah, it all just everyone, I guess just kind of shifted their focus to okay, well, now I'm on this team and I have six more months of racing this year, and like let's just make the most of it and get what we can out of this season.
0: Did it kind of I don't know cloud the experience? I mean, you're a professional you've got a job that you need to do. I understand that. But this is still like Paris Roubaix. I mean, this is an iconic race, and this is one of the first times that they had run a women's version of the race. And you're lining up for it in in a professional team kit. You're supposed to Enjoy it. You're supposed to take in the experience, but you're also dealing with the fact that the kit that's on you is a kit that's borderline abusing you, an organization that's not paying you, that's not giving you the resources that you need. Is this, you know, did you walk away from Paris, you know, from Perry Roubaix with a with some sort of positive feeling? Or is that The photo that we've got of you is that, you know, emblematic of just how exhausting it was.
1: Oh yeah, Um, that day in itself was a huge roller coaster. Like we showed up in the camper, and when we were probably about twenty minutes out of the race, I I just or twenty minutes out away from the course, um, I just sat the whole whole ride just quiet and in my feelings. And the whole, that whole week had been super stressful. I mean, that whole, the whole year at that point had been super stressful. And we were like 20 minutes away in the camper. And I just started crying. And I could not stop crying. (laughs) Like, it was just like this, holy shit, like, what am I about to do? And this is chaotic. And I don't know how to process this, because every time these emotions have come up, it's been like, here's another roadblock. Do you go do this race? Do you not go do this race? Do you like, what do you do? Every, every time you are able to like sit down and breathe, it's like, Oh, here's something else you got to decide or here's another obstacle you're presented with. So yeah, we were just, I, I just started crying and the teammates there were <laughs> trying to make me feel better and like nothing was working. And that was, uh, then we went to team presentation. Um, and at this point everybody knew what was happening like the it was public knowledge and so you know everybody's looking at you and looking at this jersey and you're wearing the canadian championship jersey but it's a zaff across well yep this is me i i'm stuck on this team right now and here i am racing roubaix and uh uh audrey had found had just signed with human, human powered before that and that was her first race and then i'd composed myself by the time i got to team, team presentation but as soon as we looked at each other uh, just across like um the parking lot like we both burst into tears again and i know there was some media around that but like i think that just really kind of captured like <laughs> what we'd gone through and she'd found another ride by that point and here I was like still trying to race with Zaf which is just hard decisions to choose to keep racing and then yeah I was able to pull it together and be on the start line and then yeah do the race which was just unbelievable like it's it's everything you see (laughs) the cobbles are a whole like the race as a whole is i'd say completely separate from what everything around the race was but then i finished that race and i'm like yeah that's that's my last race with the team like i need to, i can't go through this for one more race like this was
0: unbearable so you finished 68th on the day which is incredible one spot behind a friend of the pod lily williams from human powered health Roubaix on a good day is a physical test of everything. I mean, you've got to have just good luck on your side too, but you've also got to be physically fit, mentally prepared and ready to go. Being a professional in the world tour, you, you can't fake that. You have to be physically fit, emotionally prepared. How are you maintaining the capacity to finish 68th and one of the hardest bike races in the world at this elite level with all of this other stuff going on around you. How are you able to do the work that you need to do in order to finish that event, as opposed to just pulling off in some farmer's field, breaking down in tears and praying that somebody will give you a ride back?
1: I think racing for me had become like the escape from all the chaos, which even though you're wearing the jersey and like that's what the chaos is, um it it was the same motions. Didn't matter what jersey I was in, didn't matter at that point if I had money in my pocket. Like I was at the race, I was going through the motions, I was on the start line, the gun goes and I mean, you're there. You're there at Roubaix and earlier again wellgum and all these races for the first time you're like i was starstruck and equally had no idea what to expect of myself i had no idea what the whole race was going to be like so i think i just i just get caught up in the moment of the racing and i'm just you, you like i kind of get into the flow this flow state and i was talking about to someone about this recently i don't know if because of all this other chaos and <laughs> arguably trauma that was going on outside of the racing um it was like some protective mechanism but i i know the race was amazing i know the feelings towards the end but most of these big races i did well well on zaf like I, I just have a memory block like i i don't remember much about it except just being in this flow state and just going going with it and just racing my bike and like at the, at the end of route i was just happy I didn't crash I guess and just made it to the finish line and that in itself like felt like a win for the day and then I mean on top of that you have a Canadian just won um so that's absolutely incredible and yeah what like just a wild day out there but yeah I guess I guess I was just getting caught up in the moment of all these races because what else are you going to do at that point you're there you're at Roubaix like if you dwell on all the team shit which i know it's really hard to sometimes put that kind of stuff aside but at that point there's no use dwelling on it until the race is over like that's a later issue so just you just do it you've done it a million times like different kinds of races different whatever but you've raced your bike like a million different times so <laughs> yeah just race your bike
0: and the it's weird to ask this question but For those people who understand what happens at Roubaix, there is the the iconic shower room at the old Roubaix velodrome. And it's, you know, been these photographs, and it's this very almost surreal-looking place because it's like cement and block, and, you know, and it's kind of like this place of honor in, in the hard person description of honor. And there you are... You know, with this great picture that we shared from that experience where you are in the Canadian national champion kit. Allie Jackson from EF had won the race, fellow Canadian. And there's just this look on your face of just absolute relief, emptiness, over. I don't even know what were you feeling when you got to that finish line. You got to that point.
1: So overwhelmed. I mean, the te- the tears were gone. Those were all gone before the race, but you, you just sit. Okay. Honestly, first you finished the race, <laughs> went back to the RV and you are like a kid in a candy shop. Like me and one of my teammates is like, oh my God, we just finished fruit Let's go find the showers. Where are the showers? <laughs> like, We need this iconic moment. <laughs> but then once, I mean, once I was in there and like had I guess just accepted that like that was my last race with the team, still didn't have another team ready to go. Like just you're, you're just again caught up in the moment. Like I was empty. I'd never experienced cramps like that in my life. <laughs> I was overwhelmed by what was coming, and th- there's something. Yeah, there is just an iconic feeling of like sitting in the showers and or sitting in like the changing blocks. And you're like, you kind of go through a, how did I get here? Where am I going? What's next? Like, it it makes you think, (laughs) it just makes you kind of reflect on how your career got you here. Like, what's happened the past few months? And then where do you go from here? And that I think was what kind of that picture caught me. In that moment of just thinking of all that,
0: and so where you went was Israeli Premier Tech Roland. My French is awful, so I, I'm not. Even, <laughs> I, I've been avoiding the avoiding saying the name of your French teammate on Zaf, the national champion, because I would just butcher her name. So I'm not even going to try that. Maybe you could prompt <laughs> us on how to pronounce her name in a way that doesn't make me sound like a guy from Chicago who just got lucky and got a trip to Mars (laughs) sales. But Israeli Premier Tech Roland, you know, did they come as like a savior to you? Or how did you get there? Because it seems like once you got there, it was like stability.
1: Yeah, so IPT Roland did really come as that. I, after Roubaix, I had a little track block. So I was able to just like shift my focus. And that was my plan anyway. So didn't really feel like I was missing much on the road I was just able to shift my focus came back home for to Canada for a week to reset um and still in conversations like uh, like obviously we were having conversations with uh IPT Roland at that point but like nothing on paper yet and all along I'd had this plan that in May I was going to go up to Andorra and do an altitude block and So at least I had these things in place and I was just kind of going through the motions. I was like, well, I still don't know what my racing is coming up, but I'm going to go up to Andorra and I think a little solitude in the mountains is kind of what I needed at that point. Like just be by myself, be in my thoughts, just ride in the mountain air. And when I was up there, everything came together and it was like three weeks of kind of resetting and suddenly the rest of the year became really clear to me of what it was going to look like. And like my goals were reignited or like the fire to go after the goals was reignited. And yeah, IPT Roland really was like the light at the end of the tunnel in that, in that time and came as a savior. What
0: what was it like when you checked your bank account for the first time and you saw the promise fulfilled, the paycheck actually landed.
1: I don't think I actually believed it. <laughs> I was like, and they, because of what I've been through, like they were so good at quickly paying me. And I was like, what? What? Like, what is this <laughs> money <laughs> coming through from a team, like fulfilling what the contract says? It was a very good feeling. It's made me like believe in teams again and what was to come for the rest of the year
0: let's shift gears a little bit here talking about the track because you you brought it up and it's something that i'm fascinated about because i don't understand the uci ctl is that the champions tcl
1: track champions track
0: champions league you know i've watched it on on live stream and it looks insanely professional. It looks insanely marketable. It looks like what you would imagine, you know, anybody who is a fan of NFL, NHL, NBA would see when they would look at a bike race, what a bike race could look like as a mass marketed opportunity. So what is the track champions league?
1: Yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's trying to bring track cycling to the masses. So yeah, you take 18 of the top Endurance riders, eighteen of the top sprinters, in, male, female in the world, and that we all get invited to this league. And like they choose kind of the easiest because track events get really complicated. So they they break it down to the easiest to follow events. So for endurance, we have the scratch race: first person across the line wins, and the elimination every every two laps, someone's eliminated until there's one person left. So really, just the easiest. Most viewer friendly. It's made for TV. They take great care of you, so it's really easy as riders to do. Like they transport your bikes from race to race. Everything's all sorted. Hotels, transport. Like you just show up and you race your bike. And so for a rider, it's great. For people watching, it's great. And yes, yeah, is I I've done it all three years that they've had it now. It it would be a really hard thing for me to say no to be. To, to miss out on and not take the opportunity especially heading into an olympic year just getting a little bit more track racing i i feel for me is really important at this point because it's a it's a different mental game it's a different strategy it's a different cadence it's <laughs> there, there's all these differences yeah
0: how is it how is it different like i've done two days of track and i got beat by a 12 year old in a rookie's race because i didn't know what the game was it was a I think it was a scratch race and I tried to go from the gun and that just didn't work. The 12 year old beat me, but you know, how is it for you coming from a position where you've been a a sprinter, you've been somebody who's been the finisher on her team to race these track races? How is it different?
1: Yeah. So I think, I think it completely depended on my prep and that's something we've like dialed in this year so coming from china where they were completely flat sprint races like i I was able to train like a track racer going into them some of the other races this year like the giro i i wasn't training necessarily like a track rider heading into that because i had to make it up climbs Um, and the giro is a whole other story for me but yeah it's just like even though you sprint on the road you sprint on the track like there's Everything on the track happens so much faster. The races are shorter. There's different styles of races, so it's like, and if you if you're a road racer like like I am, like Lily is, like you'll likely only do a couple track races a year, like a couple of the nation's cups, and then you'll do world championships. So I find it really important to just kind of keep keep that like track muscle memory strong and just keep building on like the track tactics and thinking like a track rider and I mean this this track champions league was really important or uh, like there was a lot of positive takeaways because a huge moment for me is I, I beat Katie Archibald like best track racer in the world in a head to head bunch sprint which is something you know I always like believe I can do it but you don't actually really believe it until you've done it so I I think just having the opportunities to do that, gain that kind of confidence, like figure out how you did that heading into an Olympic year is, is huge.
0: In track, you've had this year alone a tremendous amount of success. And I'm basing this not on actually looking at results, but knowing what I've seen from your social media and from uh, cycling Canada and their social media, and, and seeing all the times that you and Sarah Van Dam, uh, Van Dam have won, got first and second, done something amazing, chore- choreographed a tremendously powerful dance. Obviously, we'll talk about that later. But like when you look at the roadside results, you know, your results this year have not been the results that you had last year. When you were racing crits in the United States, you are on a totally different level now, which makes perfect sense. But, you know, how do you, you know, look at the Tour of Scandinavia where your best result was 26th and, you know, look at uh, Route to Seoul where you finished sixth, which is incredible, but it's never podium spots, whereas, in track, you've nailed podium spots.
1: Yeah. Um, I think, like, I don't think not getting a podium on the road this year, except for like some stages I did, at a Spanish race I did, I, I don't think that has really impacted me, like, the way optically it might look compared to last year, because it is, th- this year is, uh, has been a huge leap into this next level. And so I think. If anything, I've surprised myself because the the difference in racing and the difference in the riders I'm up against in these sprints um, from what kind of the North American scene was, also just being a crit racer and now throwing myself into these 160-kilometer road races, just, like, getting what – did, what did I do this year? It was, like, over five, maybe five to ten, like, top ten, top 15s in the world tour. Like that in itself was something that every time that happened, I was extremely proud of just because I, I, I think I surprised myself at just popping in and doing that. And like some of the goals I broke down were different. So like Scandinavia uh, specifically, I was trying to go for the green Jersey, which didn't end up playing out. But again, I had the opportunity to sprint against this field of riders like multiple times, every stage. And so that in itself like taught me a lot like this whole year has just been learning so i think i've embraced it as such well also progressively every time i've cracked the top 10 in a race gotten more hungry for that podium more eager to make that happen but yeah i mean sprinting with or coming close to like a lorena (laughs) lorena Weavis or charlotte cool or one of those riders is like like wow i'm here and like I can safely say the past 3 years I never thought that I would just come into the World Tour and be this close right away cuz it's equally having the strength to do it and figuring out this whole style of racing like the criteriums you're you're really like you have one or two teams you're really competing against like you have a super dominant legion team that you have to figure out how to beat you come into the World Tour you have like Six trains, (laughs) that six trains, and maybe like 10 other sprinters who don't have a lead out train that you're trying to navigate and figure out who to play off of, like who to follow, who to, yeah, you're just figuring out there's so much more happening. But yeah, I think the track was the one thing this year, year that stayed really familiar for me. And like the results aligned with pretty much where I thought I was at and where I hope to be heading into next year.
0: So I, I forgot about the Vuelta and this is my favorite race that you did this year. The Vuelta extra Madura Feminis. Yeah, uh, It was a 2.2, the second stage from Don Benito to Caceres. I think it was, you ended up finishing second that day, which is your best result, your best individual result of, of the year um you finished third in the green jersey competition that's actually
1: I, I i'm gonna correct you uh there at extremadura i actually won the green jersey but they uh pcs didn't give me the credit for that they calculated some oh. other points <laughs> so I, was, I got the sprinters jersey there
0: <laughs> i was gonna say you got third at the tour of scandinavia in the oh, sprinters jersey yeah yeah which you know if you look at the people who you're who you're competing against it's it is a, it's, a, it's a list of hitters. I mean, you know, Cecile Ludwig and Lorena Wiebes. Um, again, my Dutch is as bad as my French. So, But when you walk away from this first year of racing in the Women's World Tour, do you see this as being a year that you'll remember? you know, a year that you will remember and that you will be proud of, I think is the way that the question should have gone.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that just what this year has been and everything I've gone through, like the, the fact that I was still racing and like made it out the other end, (laughs) the other side is just like, I'm proud of that in itself. Like there's been so much change and like uh, bike racing, isn't just about, what happens in the race. Like there, there was so much more around it and so many lifestyle changes for me. And I think just of how adaptable and like quick to go with the flow and navigate through these things that I've been able to do is I'm really proud of that. And like I mentioned, just from what I think my expectations were heading into this year versus what I accomplished in the races, there's, there's almost no race this year that I have any regrets about or I'm disappointed in myself with. Like, I, I think I, I don't think I'll ever have a year like this again. Like you only have your not. first year. <laughs> oh, well hope not for that side for that. Yeah. Hope not from that side of it, but you're, you only have your first year in the world tour once. Like once you're in, you know what's happening, you know you know everything. Um, so this kind of big learning year will never happen again. So I think for what what I did and what I've been able to take out for take away from it, uh, yeah, I'm incredibly proud
0: of it. What do you think was the the single best thing that you took out of this year? Like what's the single best skill that you developed? as a bike racer or human being in general from this year.
1: Okay. I mean, two things like I I can't clearly, I can't pick one thing, (laughs) two things (laughs) Um, in a race, just being able to confidently navigate a bunch finish in this field. And like, I can confidently say that I can go into almost any race that will end in a bunch kick. And, definitely get a top 10. I I think that is super cool and proud of that. And then really speaking up for what I need and like basically my, my worth and what I'm worth as a cyclist and what I should be, what, what I should get and what I, I guess, need to just live as a, a female athlete. Uh, And just being vocal about that and I I think not being afraid of being kind of that squeaky wheel because I think so many female athletes like just just won't ask for what they need and what they need to properly train and properly live and properly find that balance between racing and rest. Like a lot will just let teams walk all over them and just be pushed to the edge. Um, so I think I've learned how to be very vocal about that. And even though it might not look like it this year because I, I've been all over the map and done this many races, throughout the year I've gotten better at it. And heading into next year, I've been already really good at setting boundaries um, of what I know I can and can't do, especially into an Olympic year.
0: It surprises me that that's what you say because I never in my wildest imagination would have dreamt that you were anybody who needed to improve on that in from January. Like the Maggie Coles Lister that I knew who started the year January 1st, 2023 was a a confident, I know what I want and I know how what I need type person to me but you're talking about how that's developed over the course of the year to where it is better. You know, explain. Like, what is it that you have grown? How have you grown that way?
1: Yeah, so I think I was or still am very confident and very, like, you're right. I I already was that person and had that foundation, but I was also one that was ready to say yes to every opportunity because it seemed really cool <laughs> and ready to like push myself to the limit to go to a race or blindly think I could fly from like do a 30-hour travel day straight into a race straight on to another 15-hour travel day and if a team asked me I, I wouldn't say no just because I I guess I thought I was superhuman. <laughs> and I think that's what I've really learned. Like I, I've learned my own needs and what I need to function best as an athlete. And I guess that's what's grown the most this year is figuring out what I can handle for travel, um, what I can handle for races and accepting that life throws so many other curveballs and chaos at you outside of races and travel and that like what i need to be equipped with to be able to like juggle all of that.
0: Well, we're rapidly approaching the hour mark here and i want to kind of close up this interview with you know it's december that's when this episode will air which means it's a time for not just reflection but also from Looking forward to what is Maggie Cole's lister going to do in 2024? What is, what are the things that we can look forward to from you in that near future? Like, where are we going from here?
1: Yeah, so next year will, I mean, all going well, hopefully, be my first Olympics. So that's huge.
0: And I love your confidence that it's your. First Olympics, not I'm going to the Olympics. (laughs) It's my first. I'm here for the next twelve to fourteen or sixteen.
1: I'm around for a while, hopefully. Again, all going well. I would love to have a long career in cycling and go to many Olympics. Um, so yeah, hopefully my first Olympics next year. And yeah, just just gonna see more hopefully fights for podiums in in the world tour. Um, I'd love to really focus on the classic season again, because I think I, from doing pretty well in a lot of them this year, uh, to really understanding my strengths as a rider, I think I'm a really good classics rider. And so looking forward to hitting some of those big ones again, like hopefully, I mean, I don't know my calendar yet, but hopefully Roubaix and Ghent and Flanders, I, I can probably list a million more things. I hope as goals and hope will happen. But though those are the two things I I've really been able to confidently set my set my sight on, which is a, a world of difference from last November at this time. <laughs> what I thought was going to happen.
0: And just the final question: Are we going to see more choreographed? dances with Sarah Van Dam and the rest of Cycling Canada next year.
1: Oh, of course. Yes. Um, Hopefully we'll get Dylan Bivick back as a a guest appearance in more TikToks, but Sarah and I have plenty of ideas uh, (laughs) for what's to come (laughs) and where to grow it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, Maggie Coleslister, thank you so much for joining us again on the show. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the show. We are a proud part of the Wide Angle Podium network of shows. Wideanglepodium.com for the full bevy of shows on the network. Go support. Special thanks, of course, to Maggie Coulis-Lister for joining us all the way from the Great Pacific Northwest, from Vancouver, British Columbia, is to be exact. We very much look forward to seeing what's on the calendar for her next year. As we said in the jump, this is our last show of 2023. Don't know exactly when we'll be back in 2024, but I promise you we'll be back because there's so much to talk about in American bike racing, in Canadian bike racing, in Criterium racing, in road racing as a whole. So join us here again next time for more stories from our Criterium Nation.